You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. Welcome in to just another sports podcast here on the Sports Objective Network. I am Kyle from LaGrange Barber and joined as always on Wednesday night with my co-host from Lasker, North Carolina, the head coach of Northeast Cat, the head coach of Northeast I almost got it down, Stevie, and I screwed it up. The head coach of Northeast Academy, the one and only Stevie Fly. What's up, buddy? Hi, right, man. Just another Wednesday night. And uh, it's a good Wednesday night because we're joined by one of my favorite running backs in ECU history, Dominic Lindsay. Dom, welcome in. Hey, how you guys doing? I'm doing good, doing good. Hey, he was, you didn't mention it, Kyle. He was on your list. He was, that's right. Me and me, uh, Dom, me and uh, me and me and Bubba do right, me and Bubba. Lord, I'm screwing up my co-host. That's pretty Bubba's producing. Uh me and Stevie do a top five list every episode. And uh we did uh top five running backs a few weeks back, and uh you were on my list. Uh, so there you go. So the biggest honor of your career, I'm sure. Yeah, there you go, right there. <laughs> oh, hey, definitely, hey. Whenever you get mentioned among some greats, man, it's always good. So I, I take that with, you know, a lot, man. Yeah, well, a lot of times I got overlooked in life, so I, I take it. Hey, man. No, you never never overlooked by me. You're always one of my favorites. But So we're going we're gonna to start out at the beginning because where else would you start? Um, you, uh, you played at Charlotte Independence. Obviously, Independence in those days, and I guess they still are, but in those days in particular, Independence was the king's high school football in North Carolina. So first talk about playing for those guys in the early 2000s. Um, it was a great experience, man. Like as far as, you know, going there, playing with some great guys, I got to play with, you know, Chris Lee, who was like a one, a, one in a lifetime type of high school athlete, something that nobody had never seen before prior to him pretty much in high school football. Like it was just, it was a lot because before I got there, they had won the state championship. So coming in as a freshman, looking up to the upperclassmen, I got to do everything they do and a little bit more because I got to get better for myself. But I see how much work they put in. I see, you know, the grind to win the championship firsthand sight. So it instilled something in me like, hey, we got to win in the weight room. Once you win in the weight room, you got to go win in conditioning. Once you win in conditioning, now you got to win in the playbook. So it's like everything, like, actually mattered. And I came in with a great group of guys that was also, you know, from Charlotte that were great players that went on to do great things at other schools, Georgia, UNC. And, you know, we was able to run off a lot of wins in a four-year span. Do you think playing in a program like that that was that successful with that many D1 players uh, it prepares you better. You know, I, I know you got you had teammates that came from schools that didn't win as much, and or, or, or small schools that were that were great players. But do you think playing at a program like that prepared you better for Division One football? Definitely, because I feel like when when you play the program like that, where like winning is the expectancy, and everybody's expecting you to do good, it kind of it, it makes you put in some extra work just because you don't want to let nobody down, whether it's your 
your teammates, your parents, the people at the school, the, the student body. You don't want to let nobody down because my whole time being there was I'm not going to be on the team that breaks the street. And that's what, like, everybody live by, man. We're not going to be – my class ain't going to be the class to break the street. And that kind of look, that little drive put a lot into you. And not only that, the way that our practices were formatted, like coming to college, we had periods. Everything was breaking down in the periods. And everything was accounted for as far as time reps and all that kind of stuff. We did the same exact thing in high school. So when I got to college, it wasn't really too much of a transition. It was more so learn the playbook fast as you can and just yeah. play football. So, like, it really prepared me a lot for it. And I feel like, you know, Coach Knox is probably one of the greatest coaches in North Carolina football history. I don't know nobody else that you could say really rivals him like that, I would say. But I seen him do it in North Carolina and South Carolina at a high level. He has success everywhere he goes. So I, I, I can contribute a lot to him, too. Yeah, no doubt. I uh, I think his success and success of the program speaks for itself. So you, um, you, you're you coming out as a senior there. Uh, at what point did East Carolina and Coach Holtz, when um, you came in in 05, was Holtz your original recruiter or did JT and those guys, John Thompson's staff, start recruiting you? Um, a crazy story, man, um, about my high school coach, man. Um, I used to get mail from JT and them guys a lot, like my sophomore and junior year. But my head coach at the time, Tommy Knox, was like, I would never let you go to ECU. He's ruining that program. And that that right there, he was like, no, that's not going to be one of your schools. It's not going to be one of your schools. Tommy Knox ended up leaving my senior year to go coach the quarterbacks at Duke. And... I want to say Bill Guyler took over for the head coach. And I want to say Holtz was still at South Carolina. This was the last year with Lou Holtz at South Carolina, and they were recruiting me pretty hard down there at South Carolina. That was one of my top schools looking in, you know, looking forward to going to. And they had their little spill out at the end of the year, and everybody went their separate ways. And Coach Holtz got in touch with me, actually with Junior Smith, and he was telling me, hey, we got a new coaching staff. Um, we would like you to be a part of the team, help us turn this thing around. And it was a big difference for me coming from winning every game, coming to a program that that didn't win every game or wasn't known for winning every game or actually coming off a bad season. So it was a, a learning curve for me with that, but it also made me appreciate the grind and respect the grind with football. Because yeah, it made you me work even harder. Yeah, when you come in under under Coach Holtz, uh, well, first let's talk a little bit more about your recruiting. That's interesting that John Thompson was recruiting you, and then you know no interest from you. But you, you coach, good advice with John Thompson being here. Yeah, um, great and, then, and then you know Skip gets the job. Who else was recruiting you? I mean, when, when you when you accepted the offer from ECU, what other offers were on the table? Table. Um, I was getting recruited by um, the Red School in Raleigh. <laughs> but it, it, it was, it, the crazy thing was it was a contingent offer so it was another running back in the state they were waiting on mm. and it was like if you don't commit we'll you know offer you you'll be our guy and that kind of made me feel some kind of way so i never really i never really liked riley man like that so um 
FM. Um, I had Marshall, App State, Coastal, um, Hamptons, um, okay, Western so you pr- Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky. A lot of FCS at the time offers. Marshall was the, you playing in Conference USA along with the Pirates at that time. Um, or they joined Conference USA. When yeah, they you had joined Conference to, USA. Huh? They had just joined Conference yep. USA, I want yeah. to say. In 05, that's correct, yeah. So you, you come in East Carolina, 05, Coach Holt's staff is taking over for JT. Uh, JT, we had had three straight losing seasons, Logan's last season, and then both JT seasons were just, uh, you know, horrible. So, so you, you come in in 05, um, you know, you, you, there's some talent on that team. You, you, you got Chris Johnson, you got James Pinkney at quarterback. Uh, t- talk about your first impressions of, of, uh, you know, walking on campus at ECU, your first practices under Coach Holtz and all that? Um, like I said, it wasn't really too much of a big, like, culture shock or, hey, these guys are super good. Like, I was used to playing with, you know, top-of-the-line athletes and great football players. So, like, my main thing was learning what to do so I could do it as fast as I could because I had guys like CJ who <laughs> – who could move faster than anybody on the field. So I had to, you know, get in the playbook. And my first practices, my first couple of workouts, you know, working out with guys like um, with Koontz. And there's a whole bunch of seniors, man, and guys that wanted to win. These guys, you like, like you said, they went through – those guys went through the experience of the JTs, and they was there at Logan's last year maybe. So these guys really, really, really wanted to win. And I watched these guys put, you know, put everything into it, man. And when once I seen, like, you know, I'm an 18-year-old kid, and I'm seeing guys 24, 23 years old putting everything they got into it, yeah. I don't have no choice but to buy in and try to put everything I got into it because I got to help the team win. And I was no. fortunate enough to, to not redshirt my first year and actually help the team out. Yeah, you're talking about the 05 season. And, uh, and you know, I, how, me and Bubba talk about this. Uh, Bubba's producing backstage. Uh, that is both of what, you know, you, you, it sounds goofy, but that 05 season is probably, I know it's mine, and Bubba's talked about it too, and Stevie, I don't know if you feel the same way. The 05 season is maybe my favorite losing season in ECU history. Oh, yeah, because you saw, you saw it was headed in the right direction with a new coach. I mean, Yeah, exactly. You yeah, saw the bills. Thompson, it was – you know, five and six was 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 great compared to those two years of Thompson. Exactly, and you knew what was coming. So you, you y'all start off that that season, Dom, and you being a North Carolina kid, you probably got it. Even though Duke, you know, historically had been pretty bad, um, you, you the Pirates beat Duke to to start the season. Uh, Skip Holt's first game, your first game as a Pirate. I, I don't forgive me for not remembering. Did, did you did you play much in that first game against Duke? I played. Two snaps, man. Um, my first college play, um, the first play I ever got in, <laughs> I ran a swing play to the left. And, like, I was a check down route, and JP threw the ball, but it was kind of high. So I don't know if he was throwing it away, but I was near the ball. So I'm thinking, like, hey, he's throwing it to me. So I tried to go get it, and I jumped up to get it, and the corner came up and put a big hit on me, and they took me out the game. But when I came out the game, all the freshmen, everybody that came in in, like, my class, they was like, yeah, Nick, way to go, Nick, man. And they, they was, like, cheering me on. And I'm like, bro, he just embarrassed me in front of everybody. But I was representing for, you know, the 05 class, and 
the guys that wasn't on the field, they was just so happy to see somebody get on the field that came in with us. But that was that was a funny moment. I remember that. Did you at that time? Did you did you understand like how important that win was to to the East Carolina fans, the Pirate Nation? How much we loved beating the ACC schools. I didn't. I didn't understand it, the magnitude of it, because I was fairly new to college football, and like you said, Duke wasn't known. It isn't like we we're playing basketball. It was, it was football, right. so it's like Duke football. Like my expectations coming in as a freshman, we're gonna beat Duke, like because Duke ain't never been the best at nothing in football, and that was my expectations. But to see the reactions from the crowd after the game, and then it, you know, everything starts to process after the game. Like, hey. They only won two games last year, and they might have won one at home. So, you know, we basically just matched last year already. And, like, the expectations because we beat an ACC school and we're not a Power 5 school, that's going to put, you know, a little bit more expectations on, you know, the program doing better. But that was a – like, for Coach Hoax, I feel like that was a monumental win. That was a great way to get the ball rolling, man. Like, it's, it's always better to win than lose, but especially, like, your first – your first one, you want to win that first one because now you got a taste of it. Yeah, and, and to the fans beating an ACC school, and, and I still remember the spread, even though as bad as Duke was in 04, um, they were a seven-point favorite coming into our house for that game. And uh, so, um, yeah, it was – for Coach for Coach Holtz, it was uh, instant buy-in from the fan base. He beat an ACC school first game. Oh, yeah. Boom, the fans bought in, bought in immediately. Best interest in NCAA. I don't care what nobody said. I agree. 
Purple Haze and the uh, and, and then the pirate ship and originally and in those days we've had uh oh god I can't think of the guy's name now the guy that's the pirate now on my my yeah now we got Steve the pirate but back then you had the Captain Jack look alike and uh, came out of the pirate ship and you guys come up behind with good entrance but I uh, I'm touch on one or two more games in the 05 season we're gonna jump jump a little bit ahead. Um, I wanted to mention, since we're playing Rice this weekend, the 05 game against Rice, that was uh, your second win as a Pirate. Um, I believe it was the second or third ga- second or third home game of the year, and uh, East Carolina beats Rice in that game. And um, There's a play that stands out in my memory, Dom, by, by, by your former teammate Chris Johnson in that game. And Chris Johnson had so many big plays, and this is one of many, and most people probably don't remember this play. But there was a play, I would see if you remember, it's in the second half, where um, I, Chris Johnson, I don't know exactly how he was lined up, but he, he was at receiver. He was in the middle of the field. And he had gotten probably 10 yards behind the Rice secondary. He caught the ball, and literally there was not – by the time, as soon as he caught it, there wasn't a safety or corner within two seconds within 20 yards of him. Um, I, I never seen anything like it in my life. I, Rice secondary wasn't very good. My, that's when you really saw how fast Chris Johnson was on that play. Do you remember that play? You probably not. I remember. I, you do. I definitely, I definitely remember it because he ran a vertical route and he was the number three receiver in the slot. So like our responsibility, whenever we was number three in certain play calls, I can't remember the actual play call, but our responsibility was the, you know, the middle of the field. We had basically like a vertical and he got like, we rarely ever got the ball. Like you might practice it all weekend. You might, you might JP might have threw it one or two times, but in the game situation, JP made like the perfect pass. CJ caught it, and like you said, like two seconds later, he's thirty-five yards ahead of everybody in the end zone, and it was it was crazy. I yeah, remember I, that game. Yeah, I love that play. I'm glad you remember it because I thought the other people, and you know, it, it, for whatever reason, I guess maybe because it was Rice, it wasn't the game wasn't televised. It was, you know, it was the early days of streaming, and it was streaming only. And, uh, you know, so if you weren't at the game, you really didn't see it. So I, I, I guess a lot of people have forgotten that player just didn't see it. And it, it's one of those plays that I wish was on YouTube. You know, you, you, when you see all these Chris Johnson highlights, that's not included, and it should be because that was an amazing play. I definitely remember, like, Rice. I always remember Rice because even though I played the Duke, game the first game of the year I probably played like two snaps and I'm trying to think after Duke I want to say we played Wake Forest by this time I'm playing special teams and stuff like that so I'm actually not red shirted I wasn't getting any carries I didn't get any carries until we played Rice and like you said that was like the third home game so it probably was like the fifth or the sixth game of the season Yep. I, I didn't have any carries and I think I want to say the stat. I think I probably had like three carries, but I think I had probably like close to 40 yards. I can't remember exactly, but I remember my first one going. I had my first run went big. Yeah, you had two, like, carries, two carries for 31 yards. Which makes you ask the question, why did yeah. he only have two carries? Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know, but <laughs> I, I don't know, but I remember, I remember like after that game, and, and Skip Holtz, I think he did his press his presses on Mondays because we were off, so he talked to the media and stuff. And someone asked him, they was like, hey, Dominic Lindsay had, you know, two carries, 39 yards or whatever. And he was like, 
when are we going to see a little bit more of him? And Skip started telling him, hey, we're just, you know, trying to work him in. He's got to learn the playbook, make, him get, make sure he's comfortable and understand the moments when he's going in, you know. And everything he was saying was correct because prior to that, I think I was just more so, I'm not red-shirted. I'm not running the ball. What am I doing? Like, you didn't red-shirt me just to play special teams. I wasn't returning kicks. I was running down making tackles or blocking or whatever the case may be. So that was like my first time ever being in a situation like that because I've always been a guy who, you know, been on the field or always been, you know, a contributor. And I wasn't looking at it as a contributor, as a, you know, all-time special teams player. I wanted uh, to run the ball. So. No doubt. And you took advantage of your opportunities on those two carries. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll fast forward a little bit. We'll wrap up the other five season. Um, he closed it out with back-to-back wins over Marshall. Big comeback in Huntington. I remember that game well. Um, I want to say we were down by 14, maybe, something like that. And you you guys come back and uh, beat Marshall up in Huntington, uh, which was a big win at the time. And then the last game of the regular season, UAB was playing for bowl eligibility. Uh, their quarterback, cannot remember his name. He's a good quarterback. Uh, Daryl Hackney. Daryl Hackney, yep. Uh, he guaranteed a win. And uh, you guys uh, came into uh, – they came into Daddy Ficklin, and uh, I remember after the game, I don't remember who said it, but one of your teammates said, ain't neither one of us going bowling. <laughs> <laughs> man, it was, it was, man, it was tough, though, because like I said, man, I never experienced bowl. A lot of those guys on that 05 team never got to experience a bowl game. So, like, I can just imagine going to college, putting in all that work, man. And you don't get to experience a bowl game. Like that, that that's that's tough, man. So like I said, when I seen those guys, everything they got, and I granted it's your last year, and I looked at my last year completely different than what I looked at my freshman. Yeah, and we'll um we'll skip around. We're gonna concentrate very hard on your last year here in a moment. But uh oh six, um you got a few more carries. Um I you know, I, I was still I was I was always on the get Dominique Lindsay the ball more. Uh, any games to stand out to you particularly in the 06 season? I mean, I know there was some big wins, winning down at Southern Miss in overtime, beating NC State in Raleigh. Uh, is there any games to stand out for you personally in the 06 season? Um, NC State. NC State because the 06 season, I want to say we opened up with uh, Navy, if I'm Correct. not mistaken. Correct. I yep. say yep. we opened up with Navy. Yep. And in we went down to um, – Went down to Birmingham and played UAB, I believe. Yeah, let's let's not talk about that game. Oof. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely not because that's the game I um I had I tore my I tore my MCL, so I set out. I didn't get to play a lot of those games that season. Yeah. But the game I came back was the NC State game in Raleigh, and that's when NC State, you know, they had the, the D linemen. They had they had a whole bunch of guys that were supposed to be pretty good. We went up there and we we didn't shock the world, but we shot Raleigh. They had the tank. I remember the old tank. Yeah, they had Tank Williams and the dirty um, hit he put on on uh, James Pinkney. Yeah, and, uh, and the O line kind of pushed him around the rest of the game. Oh yeah, but like like again, man, when you got a guy like Andre Allison, man, you, you stand a chance, bro. Andre, you know, he's he was a playmaker, man, and he always thrived whenever it was that moment. I'll never forget. Right before half, up, making the catch. Splitting like two defenders and speeding to the end zone, because I was on the field 
with them when it happened. So I run to the end zone to celebrate with them. And it's like, man, it was so many boos coming from, from their fans. But it was like, it was amazing, bro. Like, that was like one of the best feelings, beating NC State, man. Not yep. only that, because I felt like how they tried to do me as a, hey, well, you, we'll give you an offer if this other guy don't come. Like, nah. I, yeah, I remember. I remember that game, and I remember uh, you guys going over. I, I think all of our fans were like in the end zone, or it was one one portion of the stadium. And I remember after the game, all all you guys going to celebrate with the fans, and it was the first time we had beaten NC State in a while, so it was a special night. Yeah, definitely. Because um, funny story, the only ECU game I ever came to or ever went to before committing to ECU or coming to ECU was um, NC State versus ECU at Bank of America in 2004. Man. With those ugly yellow jerseys. Golly, boy. Man, when I say it, it got ugly, man. I want to say they had Mario Williams in, man. They lost him. They had, they had a whole bunch of guys on that team. <laughs> oh, man, it got ugly, man. And it wasn't long after that game to skip contact with you. It couldn't have been. Yeah, that's what I was saying. So it was shortly after that game. And that's when I, I was like, all right, you know, I'll consider it because, you know, you guys were recruiting me in South Carolina, brand new coaching staff. And from what my head coach in high school was telling me, whenever a new coaching staff come in, everybody got the same, you know, you're going to – of course, the guys that was there, they got to do spring ball before I got there. But he was like, you're going to come in on a even playing field almost because everybody got to learn a new playbook. And he said, those guys might have got the playbook four months before you. But when they teaching you the stuff in camp and you're learning the stuff in camp, those guys are going to be learning it too. So it kind of, you know, helped me out in that decision, making part of the ordeal. Yeah, no doubt. So we, we look at the 07 season, and uh, you, you got more carries in the 07 season. Obviously, Chris Johnson, that was his breakout. You know, he always saw the potential in Chris with the speed, but that was his breakout season. Um, a lot of great memories from the 07 season. First, we'll start off with this one. Uh, beating, beating Carolina in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Uh, you guys were the first team to beat them in Greenwall. Only their second time ever playing Greenwall. Just the second time we had ever beaten them in history. What do you remember about that game in 07 against Tar Heels? Um, my homeboy, Hakeem Nix, played for um, the Tar Heels. Me and him were high school teammates. Yeah. Uh, we grew up together. So, like, I remember, like, I remember him balling out against us and – it coming down to a field goal kick, and we was able to, you know, pull it off. But that game, it meant so much to me because that was my first time ever playing against somebody I knew being at ECU, and this is my third year there. Prior to then, I didn't know anybody. Like, I didn't have any friends I played against or nobody I could pick up the phone and just call them, hey, bro, we, we got y'all this week, man. Be ready. Like, you know, just the fun talking and all that kind of stuff. But I remember, like, it was it was it was such a letdown to them to lose to us, so that made me feel even better. <laughs> I remember, I, like I remember that kind of stuff. Like, like after the game, a lot of the guys I knew on that team didn't want to shake hands and stuff like that. They just walked in the locker room, you know, packed their stuff up and left. But like, I remember the stadium rocking. I want to say, it, I don't think they rushed the field. No, they it. it they thought they were going to. They pulled. They took the goalpost down. Um, That's what it they was. Thought they we were going to, yeah, they thought the fans were going to rush the field, but um, because of um, Terry Holland, 
between Terry Holland, you know, asking everybody not to, and uh, I think a lot of Pirate fans just out of complete spite wasn't going to rush the field for beating Carolina just just because almost as a f you to those guys, we're not going to give you the satisfaction of of, uh, of thinking that that's our Super Bowl, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I uh, but it it was a great feeling. I'm glad you were part of that, and uh, you know. To, to beat Carolina there at uh, Daddy Ficklin. Um, oh, yeah, any, what, what else says to you about this? Were, were, were we really going to get, a, you know, granular with the 09 season? But what, what else starts uh, sticks out to you about the 07 season? Um, the 07 opener against VTech after, you know, they had that situation at their school. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Lane Stadium was rocking, man. Like, i never been, like, out of all the places we played in college, that probably was – one of the like craziest environments because they, I think that was like their first sporting event since the situation had happened. It I was. think we had college game day there, so it was it was like over the top. And then I mean, at the time I think VTech had probably like the number two defense coming into that game, so like it was a, like it was a real big it was a real big game. Like for, like for me and CJ, we really wanted to go out there and make plays because you know if you make plays. Scouts are going to see. Let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. I, um, Patrick was number three on the depth chart going into that game. Ends up becoming the starting quarterback. And I remember Skip really talking about after the game, he was shocked that, that Pinkney had not really shown that kind of um, ability that he would show in that game. And then a week later, he, he threw for a gazillion yards, as you would see. Uh, was Skip exaggerating or was Patrick at that point just not that good in practice? Um, I wouldn't say he wasn't that good, man. Like, everything is accounted for. So, going into practice, they know how many times they wanted Rob Cass to throw. They knew how many times they wanted Brett Clay to throw. They knew how many times they wanted Pat Pinkney to throw. And it's all about, like, just getting the opportunity. Like, like I said, I waited my freshman year, like, five, six games to get my first carry. And when I got it, you just make the most out of that opportunity. Yeah. And Pat, I mean – for Pat to be around after what Pat went through with shoulder surgery and stuff like that, all right, he has to know something. He has to be, you know, somewhat decent. Um, how will he do in the game? I'm not too sure because, like I said, in practice, if you're not getting the reps, I can't say you're not good. It's, it was a tough situation, but Pat came out, and I think what surprised them was Pat was more poised than what, any other quarterback we had on the roster would have been. No, he really was. You rarely, you rarely seen Pat panic and freak out, get the jitters or anything like that. Pat was always like it could be, it could be third, it could be second and and long, and Pat could get sacked, and he would come back to the huddle on third and long, and his voice and his demeanor, calm, always the same guy. He ain't he ain't riled up. Come on, the guys got a block. Hey, come on, let's go. He keeps the same tone, monotone voice. Get the play out, and Pat was he he'll make his plays, man. And that's what I think gave us an advantage because before we were more at the quarterback position, we were more kind of like a a pocket passing team. I would say JP didn't run that much, and when you add Pat in the equation, Pat was a little bit more shiftier with the ball was with running and it added another dynamic to our team and I think it went from focusing on what the coaches expected the quarterback to be 
to hey let's just take the tools that pat has and make sure we you know push the stuff that he does well as in the play calling not trying to make him a, a, a five foot 11 pocket passer awesome. i think that's what i think that's what helped us out todd pitch helped us out a lot yeah so yeah i, I like what you just said there and uh I think you can apply that to today, but we'll leave that alone. Um, before we get before we get past 2007, we got to ask, what about that Hawaii Bowl game? I mean, that that was a wild game. That kind of put uh, that was kind of like CJ's coming out party and put ECU back on the map again as far as you know beating a team like Boise State. What was it like playing at Hawaii Bowl? How Hawaii Bowl? Excuse me, I got Kyle's syndrome tonight. <laughs> Hawaii was amazing, especially to be able to go to Hawaii in December. Yeah. So, like, when you're going to Hawaii in December and you're coming from North Carolina where it's cold, it's, it's, it's raining, it's, you know, it's gray every day, you get out there and it's, you know, mid-80s, light mist rain, um, it's sunny, you can go get in the water. Like, we went to the water park and all kinds of stuff. Like, Hawaii was amazing. And, like, for CJ, I really feel like that game was the cherry on top because yeah. it, it was a whole bunch of doubters the whole season. Prior to that game, CJ had put up All-American numbers yeah. already, like, far as kick return, all-purpose. Like, he was top five all-purpose yards that year. So, like, whenever you do stuff like that, it's going to be noticed. But, like, to do it on the big screen like that, boom. I think we was like one of the only few games on like that day before, or I think it was two days before Christmas, the 23rd. It was, yeah, it was the 23rd. Yeah, it was uh, yeah. the night before Christmas Eve. So, like, it wasn't that many games on, so it was highlighted. And, you know, at that time, Boise State, I want to say they was coming off the Fiesta Bowl, yep. playing over Oklahoma. They had just beat Oklahoma the year before. So, we were super slighted by those guys because the coach got up there in the press. I mean, in the um, luncheon, and he, he told the story of, hey, I'm telling my guys, you know, we're going to Hawaii. They got excited. They asked who we were playing. We told them ECU, and they looked around. And, Is that a Division One program? And so many oh, questions. We were one double A. I remember that. Yeah. Man, listen. That, that right there lit a fire under so many guys because nobody goes to Boise, Idaho. <laughs> and the only reason why people know it's in Idaho because they're good in geography. Don't nobody, don't nobody go to Boise for anything. Like you guys in Boise, and like, like so, like everywhere we would go, you know, they would get the even at the the, the bowl functions, they would get the the upper hand, uh, or they get introduced first, and oh, Fiesta Bowl winners, like they get, like man, they're not even that good. Their conference isn't that good. They don't play competition like we play competition. Like, I'm a firm believer, like, around that period in Conference USA, Matt Forte's, yeah. Chris Johnson's, D'Angelo Williamson's, um, Brandon Marshall. Like, I can name guys out of the conference that are guys in the league, like, all pro caliber guys. I couldn't do that with that conference. I know they didn't play anybody. They Fresno State, and they played a tough game against Wyoming. Like, you're not playing anybody. So we took slight to that, man. Like, we really felt like we were disrespected. And then Ian Johnson kept telling the media that he was the real Johnson. So, you know, CJ uh, was super slighted by that. And the whole time, Ian Johnson had an ankle injury and he wasn't even playing. So he was just, you know, giving bulletin to board material. 
Yeah, I, I don't know why coaches and players would do that. Uh, I just, it never makes any sense to me. You never, know, uh, I, I always tell my guys, you never, never give bullets to bull material. Walk, walk soft and carry a big stick. Exactly. Yeah. I, I just remember because when we went to Hawaii, me and CJ were roommates in Hawaii. We both running back, so we were roommates, and like it just be nights we just be sitting there. And I remember one night we sitting there, we watching ESPN. It might have been the night before the game, and you know how ESPN do like the national poll of you know oh, the percentage the of people that thought you were going to win the bowl game. And it was ninety nine point eight Boise State. Yep. Not even, were, not even North Carolina thought we were going to win, man. Like, it was bad, yo. The whole map was blue. I remember that. They played, played in their conference, and they were 10-2 and two going in it. But that was, like you said, in their conference, too. So, And they were the darlings of, of the media from, from the previous year. Everybody wanted to see Boise State. But, uh, yeah, I was glad to see us come out on top in that game. Yeah, and it, and it, and it was just like, like, once we got out there, and like all the like, cause you know, you guys can say whatever they want to say before the game. The coach can say whatever they want to say before the game. But once you get on that field, and I can put hands on you, I can touch it. Like it ain't nothing that the media can do to save you now because it's already been printed. They yep. they said your quote, and your quote fueled me to feel this kind of way. So now, like I wanted to win. But now my my hunger for winning is even more, and now I almost want to embarrass you. Like that's that's our goal. And the way the game was going, we were en route to embarrassment. We had a couple, you know, little slip ups, and they made their plays. But it was it should have been a, a really should have been a blowout, man. Yeah, yeah, they made it interesting there at the end. Uh, uh, Hartman got to, to win another one on the last second field goal. Uh, Skip got to tell him another joke. But uh, it made for better television, I guess, to uh, win yeah, it dramatic fashion. Good ratings. Yeah. Do, do you uh, do you remember um, after that game the next day, flying back into Kenston, the crowd at the airport? Crazy, because it, it was almost like we won. You would have thought we won like a you know a BCS bowl or the national championship because people were lined up at the fence and like you know Kenston Airport isn't big. Right. I so was like there. when we pulled up, we pulled up, and there was so many people out there. And you got to think it's Christmas Eve. It's like people <laughs> yeah. could be anywhere they want to be in the world. <laughs> I know I'm pretty sure they got families, grandbabies, and nieces and nephews, and their own kids that you know Christmas Eve you can spend it with them. But they like they made it that important. It was that important to them to congratulate us when we came back, and that meant so much because. Before you know, you win a game. You might come. We might come back, depending on the time of the day or the time of the night. There might be a couple people there, but like to have people there like that supporting you. So it's like, all right, you guys were the point two percent that believed in us, almost in a sense. Cause didn't nobody else believe in? Yeah, I was living in I was living in Kenston at that time, and uh, we had family coming over that evening. We were doing thank Thanksgiving. We were doing Christmas Eve dinner at the house, and. Uh, my wife was getting stuff ready, and I told her, I said, we, you're, you're going to have to take a little break here. The boys are going to be back here at the airport at uh, whatever time it was. So we left. My wife left in the middle of uh, making Christmas Eve dinner, and uh, we went and met you guys at the airport, just like you're talking about. Because it was. It did mean that much because, you know, it was our first bowl win uh, since 95. Since 95. Yeah. Um, it, you, we had just beaten Boise, who was a national 
yeah. darling. They were the they were the uh, back then it was called instead of Power Five it was called or or, or group of five it was called uh, BCS and non BCS. So they were the darlings of the non BCS world. So it was a huge deal uh, to Pirate Nation um, to, to beat Boise State, and uh, I was super proud of you guys pulling that off, and, and it really did. It it really put East Carolina back on the map. We kind of rode it into the 08 season. Um, you get injured. Uh, you you want to talk about your injury going into the 08 season? You were you were all oh, set yeah. and ready to take to take the, the, the reins from Chris Johnson and get injured going into the 08 season. Yeah. Um... Crazy injury, man. Um, so it was probably I want to say we were we were in camp and we were probably like a week out from playing Virginia Tech at Bank of America. So that meant just playing Virginia Tech again because we didn't beat them the first time with, when I was there with CJ when I played. So just getting a chance to play them again and getting a chance to play them at home. Like for me at home, Charlotte. Charlotte, yeah. Yeah, it, it, that was gonna be like, that was real big to me. I was gonna like, I was like, I had told my mom, and my mom was super excited. Everybody in my family was super excited, and I remember just you know going into camp, having a good camp. I think that was probably like one of my best camps I probably ever had. It was probably better than the camp I had going into my like red, my red shirt senior year, but like. Going into that camp, I felt like everything was going right. I felt like I was moving better. I felt like I was like the concepts and understanding the playbook. I I could tell everybody what to do. I could name out every position and tell them what to do, what's going on. I understood the linemen, my relationship with the O line, reading like my reads. Everything was working for me, and we were in practice. And I think we, we didn't even have on equipment. We had on helmets, and I had ran a route out the backfield, and I jumped up to catch the ball. And when I jumped up to catch the ball, I think I came down on somebody's foot or something like that. And when I came down on that foot, I thought I rolled my ankle because my ankle was hurting. But it ended up being a micro fracture in my knee. Mm. So I ended up having a high ankle sprain in the micro fracture. So I went to sleep that night thinking I had an ankle sprain. You know, I just wake up, you know, we practice tomorrow. I go get treatment three or four times. And, you know, it'd be ready before we play V-Tech. Um, I wake up that next morning, my knee swole. I go mm. see Mike Hanley. And next thing you know, he, hey, we're going to go get MRIs. We got to find out what's going on. Once we find out what's going on, they hurry up and tell me, hey, you're done for the season. You're not going to be able to play this year. And I was crushed, man. Because I always feel like even to this day, like, we had a good team that 08 season was a great year. We started off real hot. We beat Virginia Tech and beat West Virginia. But I just felt like I was the missing piece. I felt like it was a lot of stuff that I could have brought to that team as far as leadership, um, accountability, whatever. Like, I felt like I could have brought a lot of stuff to that team. And the guys that, you know, Norman Whitley, Brandon Simmons, John, those guys had a you know, they did it collectively, and they all did, you know, what they did great. But I just felt like, hey, like looking at Norman, I say, Norman, if Norman rushing for 700 this year, 800 this year, I know I could have went for 1,000. Like, and them extra 200 yards could have been first downs. They don't necessarily have to be touchdowns to change the game. But just little stuff like that. So I yeah. feel like I could have been, like, the missing piece because I feel like everything else went right. 
we had, we beat, like I said, we started off, we beat Virginia Tech, we beat West Virginia, and then we turn around and we go down to New Orleans and play Tulane. I think we beat Tulane. Yeah, losing like Quentin Cotton in that game was big. Or not, yeah, yeah Quentin and, Cotton. And, yeah. And, that was, and that was another key thing for us, too, on our team, because when we lost Cotton, I want to say that next game we played like NC State, but we yeah. played State two games later, and we end up, you know, losing to NC State in that game. And, like, that was a big blow because Cotton was a, a real deal playmaker for us, and he was a leader on the defense. So when you lose, some, you lose somebody like that, man, he was, like, you know, like essentially like one of the heartbeats. Nobody yeah. wants to see a guy go down. Like, you don't, you don't want to see no one go down. But when you're a guy, that's a guy that everybody respects goes down, it kind of, you know, bothers the team because now the chemistry is kind of mixed up because now who's going to be the guy? who, you know, motivates the defense on third down or, you know, calls out the plays or whatever, you know, whatever his job entitled. But he did a lot for the team. And like I said, him hurting his knee, it really was a, you know, a big blow to it. Yeah. And I think yeah. he got – I think he made, like, the game-winning play almost. I want to say he picked up a fumble. Or Block, field goal, ran it back for a touchdown. Right, yeah. Like, he made a big play that game, man. When you lose guys that make plays like that, man, it's devastating to the team, man. Yeah, and and I'm with you. I, you with, with his, you know, we ended up winning conference championship that year, so it was, it was still a great year. But yeah, you're right. Uh, losing Quentin was huge, and losing you at the beginning of the year was huge because by the end of the year, man, we were a ragtag bunch at running back. We it was it was it got down to to Brandon Simmons, Jason Simmons, and Norman Whitley, and that was pretty much it. And yeah. we were we were so banged up and. Uh, it's really when you look at how injured that offense was at the end of the year, it's amazing they did what they did and beat Tulsa in the conference championship game. Yeah, and that's a hats off to Coach Hood and that defense, man. Our defense was yeah, like, no doubt. They just they just got like every year I was at ECU, the defense just got better and better and better, and then eventually, you know, I, I look back at it hindsight, you got guys like Jay Ross and Linville on the D line. Those guys pretty good, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jay Ross, Limble Johnson, CJ Johnson, or CJ Johnson, CJ Wilson. CJ I mean, Wilson, yeah. you gotta think. Three of the three of three of the four D linemen I played with my senior year end up winning the Super Bowl ring. So like yes, pretty the caliber of player they were. Yeah. And then you got, you know, Scotty Robinson was a monster on his side. He did his job. And it's like Everybody just really, you know, stepped up and, you know, everybody came to work. But by the, like you said, that 08 year, it was it was tough because, like you said, the running backs were banged up. I think we lost a couple of receivers also. Yeah. Like, so it was like, you know, we're playing on our last leg almost, and we still should have beat Kentucky. No, you're right. So we fast forward to 09. It's redemption time for Dominic Lindsay. You, you, you didn't get to do it in 08, but you get to do it in 09. Um, talk about before we get into the season. Just talk about the rehab a little bit and fall camp leading into the 09 season. Um, all right. So, so like I said, I had micro fracture in my um my right knee, and with that micro fracture, um, it was a lot of rehab, man. It was just basically three times a day, every day, and that with Mike Hand and just putting in work and, and grinding and. Like I tell anybody, man, rehab is a lot harder than just regular working out. 
that you're trying to work out a muscle or you're trying to work out a limb that's damaged or that isn't as strong as you're used to it. So like learning how to to not necessarily walk again, but building endurance in my my, my calf muscles and my my quads and my hamstrings, trying to make sure all my levels are equal because you don't want to overcompensate for something and pull a muscle because your quads are too big or your hamstrings are too strong. So, like, just trying to make sure all of that stuff was lined up the way it was supposed to be lined up. And like I said, we had, I had Mike Hanley, he was the head trainer. And Mike, he really, he really, he really pushed me to get back on the field, golden and them guys in the weight room as far as working out, lifting weights. Like once I got cleared to lift weights, I couldn't wait. I, I got back in the weight room and the whole spring, I think spring, that following spring, I didn't do any contact. They wouldn't let me do any contact, but I still got to get in and do reps. I just couldn't get like, you know, live contact or get tackled or anything like that. So they kind of held me back and they kind of, you know, helped me, save me from myself, really, because I was ready to go full tilt and they were, hey, we're going to dial it back let you go 75 but they knew like hey we just gonna work you up and ramp you up to 100 and getting back you know getting back healthy was like a main concern of mine because a lot of the guys i came in with in 05 was also graduated off that 09 team they were gonna graduate with so that was something i wanted to you know be able to play with my boys and, and leave it all on the field because the way my the way like the last time people seen me was in the Hawaii Bowl, so it's like they seen me in the Hawaii Bowl, and I had you know a decent game, but I feel like I had more to show them, and that was like my whole thing. Like, let me prove that hey, I can still be a guy, or I'm still a good guy. Like, that was my main thing, and I just wanted everybody to be able to contribute in whatever manner they could. Like, whether it was me helping Brandon Jackson learn to play so he could be asset to the team and help us whenever we need him to help Giovanni same thing or Norman like whatever I could do to help guys out that was my thing I wanted to be you know that all-around player because I felt like I was somebody that my teammates respected Brandon Jackson I forgot all about him he was transferred here from Oregon didn't he um Kentucky Kentucky why am I thinking Oregon okay <laughs> he's from Oregon he's from Oregon but oh he's he, from Oregon transferred here from Kentucky yeah, okay from, yeah he transferred from Kentucky uh, Coming off that that uh, injury like that, how how nervous were you getting out there that first game? Um, against App, honestly, honestly against App, they 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 gave me the option like, hey, do you want to wear a knee brace? And I told them no, because I felt like just having the knee brace on and looking down and seeing the knee brace on my knee is gonna remind me that I hurt my knee. Not only that, it's the defensive players know, oh, he hurt his knee. Like, so, like, I wasn't really too worried about it because it's football, and I know, you know, that kind of stuff comes with football. So, right. I just, you know, you go in every game and you hope, you know, you hope for the best. So, that App State game, you, you talk about wanting to remind people who you are or show them what you can do. Uh, 15 carries for 105, and we needed every damn one of them. Because man, they were FCS at that time, but that, that that they were a good football team. That was a war that day in Dowdy Ficklin. You had one oh five. That was that I guess at that point that had to be your biggest rushing day to date at college. Oh uh, yeah, um it surpassed 
it surpassed South Florida, the Papa John's Bowl. I think the Papa John's yeah. Bowl, I had like 89 yards okay. that year in the Papa John's Bowl. But up until then, that was my first 100-yard game. And then that was like, I think that was the second time I got to play against somebody that I actually, you know, played high school with. Uh, I played against a linebacker. They had a linebacker name, DJ, um, DJ Smith. He ended up playing for the Green Bay Packers. But it was it was cool playing against him because you know the trash talk and stuff like that. So nine season, you know, there are several games that stand out here. I'm just going to mention a few of them to you that you put up big numbers um, against Memphis. Twenty two carries for one thirty nine, and I want to say maybe you had a couple big receptions in that game too. I don't have your receiving stats here, but what do you remember about that Memphis game? Um, that Memphis game was I want to say we were talking about it um, was the game after Rice. So I was coming back off a, a, a bum ankle and like I say it was on a um I want to say it was like on crazy night like a Tuesday or something like that we played on like a, a wild schedule that year it was on a Tuesday yeah yeah so so like I remember just you know going and practice and that week up into it getting getting up until like that Sunday and saying hey I'm gonna try to give it a go folks say hey we're gonna put you on the plane you're gonna give it a go see how it goes and I went out there and I played. I played good. Twenty-two for one thirty. That that's a good game. Like, wouldn't complain about that game at all. Like, but it was just the fact that once I once I realized that, and I was like, I felt like I could do anything. Like, not to feel cocky or anything, but like, I felt like I can do anything and whatever I can do to help this team win because winning was always my 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 first thought. Like, I wanted to win. I wanted to be a winner because. Campus is a lot funner when you walk on campus on a Monday after a win than opposed to losing. <laughs> like everything is better when you win. So yeah, I always yeah. wanted to be a winner. Another one here, I'm going to mention to you, uh, Dom. We talked about a lot of these games in the, in the backstage before the before the show, but uh, you mentioned how you got injured the week before the Memphis game against Rice. Oddly enough, we were playing this weekend. Uh, you had put up 78 yards against Rice, and it was the second quarter. And you went out with an injury. Already had seventy-eight yards in the second quarter. Uh, you said you said before the show you you really thought you were gonna maybe set a record that day, a personal record. Um, uh, you, you were on fire early in that game. It was a shame you you went out with an injury. Yeah, um, it was crazy because like I think that the play I got injured, I actually ran the ball and picked up a first down, and I want to say when I lined and fell on me late. And when he fell on me, I just felt my ankle roll, and it felt like it popped. And when mm. I, I tried to stand up, and I, I couldn't feel my feet, I just sat back down because I was thinking, like, man, I hope my ankle isn't broken. That was the first and foremost thought. Like, I just hope I just didn't break my ankle. Well, thankfully, you didn't, and it was just yeah. a sprain because we needed just you. And, 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 okay, so I'm sorry. Uh, looking here at other games. Um, Told some. Tulsa, yes, Tulsa, 31 carries for 172. That was on a Sunday night. I remember that game well. Uh, you had a dom- the whole team was dominant that night. I remember, I, I remember there was, a, there was a defensive play where uh, we picked them off. I don't remember who. I don't remember you. You would have been watching this from the sidelines. I don't remember who had the pick, but it literally looked like one of our players just sat on their quarterback the whole time. And just held it down while they were running the ball back. You remember that? I remember. I want to say, um, I want to say, 
either it was either Levin Neal caught the interception or Emmanuel Davis. Because I remember that game, we scored, we ended up scoring like two defensive touchdowns. I want to say Jay Ross had a fumble recovery. He ran back, and I, last I had three. The last three touchdowns of the game were all defensive touchdowns. Right. Yeah, I remember that fumble return. Yep, yeah. two interceptions in the fumble return. So that play you're talking about, it was either Levin or it was um. Emmanuel Davis on that return, but that was that was a, a a a cool game, man, because it wasn't no one no other college like games on and stuff like that, and we were in prime time, like that was a you know a hot slot for a Sunday night game for college football. I mean, yeah, ESPN was trying Sunday night college football at that time, and it ended up being something they got away from. But at the time, you're right; it was prime time, the only game on. You you rushed for 172. We beat Tulsa, who at that time that was a good program, and uh, it was it was it was a nice win, an impressive win, and uh, so um, you. Uh, I'm I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit here because we're getting a little late in the podcast, um, and I got a personal memory of you. I was sitting in Daddy Ficklin Stadium during the conference championship game against Houston. Before the game, I get in the stadium early. I'm there as soon as the, as soon as the uh, the gates open, about two hours before kickoff. So I'm there during warm ups and everything. And uh, at some point during warm ups, the Houston players start dancing on our logo. And I remember there was one guy that got really pissed off and had to be held back by his teammates. He was ready to fight right then. Now, do you remember who that player was, Tom? <laughs> man, I'm trying to think. Man. It was you, man. <laughs> I know a lot of guys, man. Dude, we we felt like, like you know, man. I always felt like ECU was always considered the little brother or the middle child because we, you know, that we're not in the ACC, we're not in the SEC, so we we're just here. Like I always felt like we was the middle child. We never got respect from nobody. Like I I remember teams disrespecting us and you know, coach telling us to take the high road. And you know, compliment your team. I mean, your opponent, and talk good about them and stuff like that. And it was the hardest things to do sometimes, because we always used to look back and be like, hey, nobody's telling them not to disrespect us. Because when we we went to Houston, we didn't dance on the H. We didn't go to the middle of the field. Uh-oh. Kick uh, we got him back. Dom, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, we lost you just for a second. Okay. But um, go ahead. You were talking about how you how, how East Carolina didn't dance on the midfield logo at Houston. Yeah, we like we we felt like we didn't have to do anything like that. To, you know, like we shouldn't have to light a fire. Didn't nobody have to light a fire under me to play no football, man? Like I, I, that's what I wanted to do. I felt like that's what I was, you know, semi born to do. Like, and that's what I did well. So like, we didn't want to give like you say no bulletin board material or you know fire nobody up because then. It becomes more than football, and the game get chippy, and all that other stuff comes along with it. All we wanted to do was beat you bad in football. That's it. So, Thank like you. playing Houston, Case Keenum, a monster, man. Like again, our defense, man, pulled it out. And I mean, we we made plays on offense also, but our defense definitely pulled it out. I think Van caught two interceptions. I remember one of them was the game winner for the Silver game. And like, I think you had 89. Did you have 89 rushing yards in that game? 
I think so. I think I had 89 rushing yards and like two touchdowns maybe or something like that. And you had a couple receivers. It seems like you maybe. Reception. Yeah. All right. What they have, the official stats they have, was 75 yards rushing, two TDs, three three receptions for 37 yards. Okay. So 112 all-purpose yards. Two TDs. I mean, whatever I can do to help us win. I know Giovanni scored a nice run. Um, like I said, our defense was sacking Case Keenum because before that, I think he was on a streak where he was throwing for like 400 yards, 500 yards a game. Like he, that's what was like the norm back then, which is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that was crazy. I should people should have seen like, hey, Kevin Sumlin went and got Johnny Menzel and did the same thing, but did it on the biggest stage, and he won a Heisman. Yeah, someone had that offense running at that point. I don't know what happened yeah. out of the Arizona, but at one point, uh, Kevin Sumlin was one of the hottest offensive coaches out there. Um, you, you had Liberty Bowl against Arkansas did not go the way we wanted it to. Pirates should have won that game. You talk about a game that we we dominated and just somehow found a way to lose it. You run for one fifty one against an SEC opponent. What did that mean to you personally? I know it it had to taste a little bitter with the loss, but you put up 151 yards against an SEC opponent. Um, in the process of it, like I said, um, like going into it, I never really looked at it like, hey, we're playing an SEC team. They're going to be pretty tough. Like, because at the end of the day, they can only put 11 guys on the field just like us. That's right. And I, I, I was super confident in the other 10 guys uh, well, or the other 11 that we put out there on defense. Like, I was super confident that, like, my guys can get it done. Like, my guys, um, you know, if they feel like I feel, like, it ain't nothing to worry about. We got this. And, like you said, we dominated them. Like, I think they went, like, one for 13 on third down, their offense. And at the time, I think they had the number one offense in the SEC. Yeah. Like, like we dominated those guys. We ran the ball 151 yards just by me. Um, I don't know the game total stats. Like, you almost broke it. At the end. You almost had a touchdown. It went, when Hartman, um, you know, missed the field goal in regulation, you almost broke one for a touchdown there towards the end of that game. I don't know if people remember that. I, I do. I, you were you were like, you about to break it to the end zone, and we wouldn't have had to rely on the kicker. Like, and my thing was, I remember so much from that game. But like, my thing was, I got to get. If it, if, it, if it means setting him up with the easiest possible field goal possible. Because I remember towards the end of the game, yeah. they were like, we're just going to line the ball up. You just get the ball and go down. And I think they handed it off to him, and I think I picked up like 12 yards. That might be the play you're talking about. Yeah, I think it is. It was like, I think it was the last play before we kicked it, before overtime. And all, like I was like, man, Hartman being money so long, like it ain't no way. And it's just like, man, somebody snap their fingers and the ball go left, or they hit the button at B Dubs and the ball go left. Like, I never understood that, man. That was crazy. It, and it's a shame, you know. Hey, Ben Hartman, I, I think, caught a lot of flack from Pirate fans after that game, and he 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 did more good than he did bad here. He won a bunch of games for us. Yeah. He field goal against Boise State, field goal against um, UNC, yeah. field goal against Marshall in overtime. Um, field goal against UCF in a low-scoring game on a Sunday night. Um, this, I believe that was the 08 season. Um, so he, uh, he, you know, I, I wish people, you know, when they think of Ben Hartman, would think of him more like I do for all the kicks he made rather than yeah, the ones definitely. he missed. 
Definitely. And Ben, like I said, Ben's one of my guys. Me and Ben came in 2005. We both were class of 2005, so we was in that, in that class. So it's like I, I seen him do it so many times. Like I know, you know, but, you know, everybody has their nights, man, like where, you know, they don't perform to their expectations or even, you know, their peers' expectations. I think that whole game. That, that night, like, you got to think of the conditions, man. It was probably like 18 degrees. Um, it had a little wind, but just kicking a cold football. I know catching a football when it's that cold is way different than catching one when it's warm. Yeah. So, I, like, I can only imagine kicking and your toes feel like, you know, icicles out there because you've been standing on the sideline. It's not like he's going in and playing five yeah, plays. <laughs> he's standing on the sideline until your number's called. Like, that's tough. And you yeah. got to perform like that's tough, man. That's like one of the you know toughest positions to play because there's so much scrutiny on you know your success because it you're either judged on either you hit or miss. Yeah, there's no in between. There's no in between. There's no in between. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You can make every one. You can bank every. You can bank every field goal off the post, and nobody's never gonna judge you until you miss one off the post. Exactly, and it's the last. That last thing they remember you for that last one, and the one you missed too. I mean, I go back and you look at like, uh, for instance, Brent Favre when he played with the Vikings, he got the Vikings to the NFC Championship game. But everybody's gonna always remember him throwing that interception at the end that cost them the game, and, and, and the Viking fans hate Favre for that right now. But I mean, right. like you said, Hartman, Hartman did a lot more good than than bad there. I mean, won a lot of games with his leg, so you gotta. You got to get a guy a break. You got to, man. Like, I know I know that was tough for him, you know, just to go through that because he's been in that situation before, but he's been on the, you know, on the other side of it. So, like, it's a big difference. A yeah. Big difference. It, like, and, like, I just honestly feel like it shouldn't have really never came down to a field goal. Like, it, that, was, that was our fault for letting it come down to a field goal. We should have punched it in one more time or – made one more stop or whatever the case may have been. Yeah, no, it was, it was a heartbreaker, but hey, it's all part of football, man. You, you, you know, you can't go back when you won a conference championship that year. And those are great memories. Skip Holt's days were great. You know, you mentioned coach HUD, you know, Rick Smith, all those guys. It was a great staff and um, you got to be a part of two conferences. We hadn't won one since. <laughs> so you got to be, Part of two conference championships. I, I did want to ask you, um, as we wrap this this up, I, uh, you, you know, I, I don't want to talk about this much this year's team too much, but you know, I know you've been watching. Um, you know, got some good running backs, Rajay Harris, Bond. What would be your message uh, to those guys? Man, don't stop working, man. Enjoy the grind. Appreciate the grind because. Without the grind, there's no beauty, man. It, you, you you won't know your potential unless you put it all in, man. You got to put all in. And when it comes down to, you know, getting on the field, make sure you're leading by example. Man. Don't be a guy to just talk about it. You can be a guy to just show people that I'm going to do it. And they'll respect that more than the guy that talks about it. Just go out there and, you know, try to lead the way. Try to go the extra mile. Find something to get better at every day because that's what it takes. You got to go in and you got to sharpen your knives every day. So when it's time to eat, you can cut that steak, man. That's Good all luck. you got to do, man. 
good advice and, and like you did when you get your opportunity to take advantage of it. So take advantage of it, man. Whenever you can make your play, make your play because like what I've experienced in life from playing football and coaching football in high school, we can watch the whole you can watch the whole game, but you don't know what play is gonna be the play that determines the game. And normally it comes down if it's a close game, it comes down to maybe one or two plays. You don't know if there's going to be a penalty on that play or whatever's going to be the difference maker in that game. But you always be able to go back and look and be like, hey, this play right here changed the game. And this one, you know, start going downhill or they start making they run. So always, you know, every play, sell out, man. Give them everything because you don't know when. Like, I I got injured. I had an injury, injury-riddled career while I was at ECU. I had a couple injuries. I never thought that I would get injured because I never got injured until I got to ECU. So it make you appreciate it different. That's why I say, man, appreciate the grind and, you know, respect the grind and make sure you when you go in there, you're really going to work, man. Don't just don't just do it for the gram, man. Do it for real. Like, go in there and have a purpose. Like, whether it's you got personal goals, whether you got team goals, uh, running backs, like, Come together and say, hey, man, this week right here, we're putting up 175 combined or 200 yards and work towards that, man. Because you got to have some kind of goal in your head. You got to have something that you want to attain. And normally, like me personally, I feel like the easiest way to to get an offense going is to run game. No, I agree. Run the ball, man. If you can yeah. run the ball, man. The way football is being played now is it's turning into more, you know, finesse, spread them out wide, and don't nobody want to get hit in the mouth no more, man. Take advantage of being able to punch somebody in the mouth and imposing your will on people. Because defensive guys play defense, but I guarantee you, don't nobody want to tackle somebody who bring it every play. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> nobody wants to get hit. Nobody wants to get hit back. <laughs> and I seen that Harris kid. Harris is a big guy, man. Yeah, yes, Harris is a big guy, and I don't know if, he's a big guy. if, if you got this all, I don't know if you saw the Gardner-Webb game, but uh, it's all my guys taking advantage of their opportunities. Uh, Camaro Edmonds came in late, another big kid, and uh, looked really good. Uh, he looked good, you know, it was against, you know, the game was put away, and it was against Gardner-Webb, but as good as Edmonds looked, he, he, I, he I, I have to say he, he earned himself some more playing time. Is that number 30? I don't know. I said you scored late in the game. Yes, yes, yes. What's this number? Uh, Stevie, I'm horrible with that. 37. 37. 37, okay. Yeah, I seen that, man. Like, you never know, man. And, like, stuff like that does works miracles for people's confidence, man, and self-confidence. Because a lot of the times, like, when I was at ECU, and, like, my freshman year when I was like, they're not giving me the ball. They must not think I can run the ball. It kind of puts a self-doubt in your head. But once you go out there and you have success and you feel like, hey, man, I- I'm supposed to be here. I-, I-, I was meant to be here. Like, now you know, hey, I can come to work and I got something to work towards, man. It's, it's not just, you know, running on a treadmill. I'm actually making progress. So, Dom, tell everybody what you're up to these days and uh, if you got any social media you want to give out. All right. So, these days right now, I'm working with a nonprofit organization called YAP, um, focusing on helping teens 
out in the streets um with you know with the violence stopping the violence that's going on um been doing that um i got two kids i got a daughter and a um, two-year-old son taking care of them um i got two dogs take care of those guys um really man just you know enjoying life man um watching ball man it's the best time of the year it's october almost so a lot of good good football on some baseball on for the baseball people um basketball from the start up so it's like almost my holiday i like this time of year but um my Instagram, you can follow me at Lindsay Goham, L-I-N-Z-G-O-H-A-M. On Facebook, Dominique Lindsay. Um, still cheering for the Pirates, man. Hoping we can get the thing turned around. Because it'd be nice to go to another bowl game. Yeah, absolutely. It needs to start this weekend at Rice. Dom, we, we, go ahead. I said it's definitely a good, you know, a good game to you know get the ball turned around and you know get things going the way you want them to go, man. Follow up off that going away momentum. You know, let's win two in a row. So we can make it three in a row. That's right. And start off one and zero in conference play. Well, Dom, yep. thank you for joining us. I uh, hope you come on again with us sometime. And uh, always good to talk to you. No problem at all, man. Thank you for having me. Go Pirates. All right. Dominic Lindsay, ECU, two-time conference champion. So, uh, Stephen. Um, we, uh, we, we, we're going, we're going to do, uh, we, we're going to quickly talk about the guard, the Gardner Webb game. No, we're not going to talk about the Gardner Webb right. game. That's been talked about enough. We're going to quickly talk about the Rice game. And then, uh, and then we're going to do our, uh, this week's a top three instead of a top five. So, uh, we, we look at Rice. Um, they've been putting a uh, big time passing yards. Uh, yeah. what's crazy is their offense. You know, they had over 400 yards of offense against South Florida, only one yard rushing. It was all passing. Uh, JT Daniels goes down with with, with an ankle sprain. Um, He'll be back. He's, you know, their coaches are saying he's going to play, but our uh, you know uh, our defense coordinator um, uh, Blake Arrow uh, said that we're preparing for for, for him and, and two other quarterbacks. We're preparing for three quarterbacks right now, so I'm not sure how convinced that our staff is that he's going to play, despite what they're saying. All right. Well, you got two freshman quarterbacks coming behind him, so. Uh, yeah, I, I I think he's gonna play. I I don't know how much, uh, but yeah, well that's what I mean. Yeah, I, yeah. I think they're gonna try. They're gonna try. Yeah. He, he's gonna give it though. Go, but you know that if he doesn't play, if he doesn't play, boy, that's that sets up nice. Yeah, boy. it sets up real nice for us because that's you know, um, you, you got a fr- two freshman quarterbacks behind him. Uh, we can shut. I think. If he, they have one yard rushing, I don't think we should have any problems shutting down the run. But what worries me is is if he is in there, how our secondary is going to react to him, how we're going to try to shut him down. He likes to stay in the pocket, Stevie. And yeah. with, that, with that ankle being injured, if you can get pressure on him, you, you wonder, you know, if you can make him 50% less effective, um, you stand a chance. And this is a game where – Defensively, they've been giving up a lot of yards through the air. And yeah. this is a – if Flynn knows the offense, and if if Flynn's shoulder can, can stay healthy, you know, the whole game, if it doesn't get sore, I really think Flynn could have a breakout game this week. Yeah, I think so too. And, and look, like you, you saw last week, it, you know, it's not the – 
I'm no offense to, to Gordon Webb and not the highest competition, but you saw what getting a little confidence can do for that offense, getting a little the passing game, opening up the passing game. You got a little bit of rushing yards there. You know, you talked earlier about Kamara and yep. even uh, all the other guys got, got some rushing yards in that game. That, Bond, the offense, that opens up the offense there. So that's what we have to do, and I, I think Flynn gives us that best chance to with with the passing game. And I know Mason got in there, had a few runs, uh, but he had a couple nice passes. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, look at that. What does that tell you? He 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 didn't act like he was. Yeah, he he, the game thing. was put away, so he wasn't in his head. He was no just he went out there and ran the play. Yep. So he can do it. He's just got to get over that. That mental, that mental part of the game, as far as okay, I can't make a mistake. I can't cost us the game right now. And I think that you, I know you've said that for a long time with him. Or ever since the season started, he's scared to make a mistake. You're gonna make mistakes. I mean, that, we know that. But once you get that out of your head, and there's no pressure on you about that, you, he can play. So I mean, he, he proved that last week. Yeah, I'd rather you go out there and throw an interception than to be scared to throw the damn ball. Exactly. I'd rather you, yeah, I mean, just, just screw up. It's, it's better than doing nothing. Um, so, yeah, hopefully if he gets another opportunity, uh, he'll come out there with that mindset and then execute because you never know with uh, with Flynn's shoulders, we might need him Saturday. Um, I think it's going to be a close ball game. Unless, unless Daniels doesn't play. If Daniels doesn't play, I fully expect us to win the game by – I don't want to say too much, but I fully expect us to win that game if Daniels doesn't play. If Daniels does play, I think it's going to be a close game. Um, should be a lot of fun Saturday night uh, in uh, in Houston watching that one on ESPN Plus seven o'clock. Um, do you want to give a? You got a score prediction for that game? Who you can Do I give two scores, like one without Daniels and one with? <laughs> sure. Let's see. If it's not if if Daniels doesn't play, I'm going to say. Pirates 24, uh, Rice 14. Uh, with Daniels, eesh, I think it's going to be it's going to be some more points. I'll go Pirates 31, Rice 28. You know, you almost <laughs> just pretty much exactly how I'm thinking, Stevie. I, I'm, I'm I, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just say I agree because uh, you pretty much almost nailed both my scores exactly. Um, and the reason I predict less points if Daniels doesn't play, uh, just by nature of what Mike Houston does, if we don't have yeah. it, we won't. Um, so he, he is just like Skip. He's perfectly happy grinding one out. Um, I, all right. We're going to move on to what everybody tunes in for each and every week. This is, it wasn't for Dominic Lindsay. It, it was, it was for, it was for our top five. This week it's going to be a top three. It's going to be a top three, our top three favorite head coaches, in ECU football history, keep in mind those are top three favorites. So I'll Favorite. start off. Favorites. Favorites. So I'm, I'm going to start it off here. Number three for me is going to be a guy we talked about a lot tonight, Skip Holtz. Skip won two conference championships here, had, had you know, wins over North Carolina, North Carolina State, Duke, Boise State. Again, the two conference championships were huge. So number three for me is going to be uh, Skip Holtz. Okay. You know, Skip didn't make my top three, but number three on my list. And, you know, I go back to, to that team a lot because that's where I got started as a pirate 
fan, I'm gonna go back and uh, my number three is Ed Emery. Yeah, Ed Emery. You know, I you know I was three years old, ninety three. <laughs> So I have no memory of that, but I, I know all about it. I've, I've watched the documentary. By the way, if you have never watched the documentary of that 83 team, it's on, it's on YouTube for anybody that wants to watch it. Um, it's good. That was but, a special team that, you know, before the Peach Bowl team, that was the team that got talked about a lot when you talk about ECU football. Yeah, no doubt. That and the Independence Bowl team. Um, yeah. My number two is going to be, you know, and I went back and forth with this, and it really came back down to – just, just who I like better as a person, and there's, and not saying that this guy's a bad person at all, but uh, number two, Steve Logan, uh, he was almost my number one. Uh, Logan, obviously, when I became a Pirate fan, you know, again, I was a casual fan in '91. I was 11 years old with the Peach Bowl, but I became a diehard fan when I was 14 in '94. And uh, Steve Logan was obviously the hit coach. A lot of great memories. From oh, yeah. the Steve Logan days growing up, you know, the Liberty Bowl wins in 94, 90, or the Liberty Bowl games in 94, 95, Liberty Bowl win in 95, beating Miami twice, uh, beating NC State in Greenville, uh, you know, the wars between them and East Carolina and Southern Miss, it was always Steve Logan and Jeff Bauer, um, just, you know, the the bowl wins, the, the, the win over Texas Tech down in Houston in the uh, Gallery Furniture Bowl, um, lots of great memories under Steve Logan. He was almost my number one, but uh, he comes in number two for me. I bet we flip flop on two and one here because my number two is, uh, you know, uh, he's an old ECU player. Uh, wish, wish things had worked out where he was here uh, a little bit longer. I think he got a raw deal, but that's another story for another time. But my number two is Ruffin McNeil. I mean, the the that era of football. With ECU when he came along, you know, that explosive offense with Lincoln Riley, but and, and like you said, just, and I'm, I, I don't want to jump to the conclusion that he might be your number one, but uh, you know, just a great guy too. I mean, he he was all hard and he loved ECU. He loves ECU, still loves ECU, but I, I don't that whole situation. I don't want to get into it right now, but yeah, Ruffin McNeil is my number two. Yeah, my number one is rough, and you got it. Um, and like I said, it went back and forth between him and Logan. Um, if you really want to know my favorite era of ECU football, it would be the Logan days. But yeah. uh, Ruffin McNeil being a former player, um, his love for ECU, um, and then you have to cap it all off. He did have success here. He yeah. had, besides the Peach Bowl, we only had one other 10-plus win season. People forget that. That was under Ruffin McNeil, 2013. We won 10 games. We beat North Carolina and NC State the in same. the same season, and we fired the guy two years later. Um, yeah, you know, after after you lost half of your offense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 you know, 2014, start off red hot, ranked in the top 25, and, you know, things kind of tailed off. We finished eight and four. But Ruffin did things here – Offensively, you know, he, he people can say it was all Lincoln Riley. Well, well, the people that say it was all Lincoln Riley, I always want to go MFers. Who hired Lincoln Riley? Exactly. Nobody knew Lincoln Riley from a sack of corn before <laughs> Ruffin McNeil hired him and made him his OC. Right. He, you know, and so he, he brings him with him from Texas Tech, where he was receivers coach, makes him OC. Um, and, and, and another thing I love to point out about Ruffin for people that say, oh. Lincoln's gone. Look, if you'd have just given him time and gotten his quarterback back, look, 
this was his offensive staff. Donnie Kirkpatrick, currently offensive coordinator at East Carolina. Um, Dave Nickel, unfortunately, has passed away, but was receivers coach at um, at uh, USC before he passed away. He was his OC. Garrett Riley, receivers coach, um, now the OC at Clemson. Uh, his O-line coach that year, after his uh, previous O-line coach had left joined Leach at Washington State, um, is now the O-line coach at Arkansas. So his last offensive staff was pretty salty if he would have just been given time. Um, you know, And even that year he got fired with a starting quarterback going out before the year started. And we still went five and six. It came down to a field goal against Cincinnati to go to a bowl that year. Uh, we beat Virginia Tech in the rain. That Ruffin got a raw deal. Yeah. Forever a pirate, and um, he's my number one for a lot of reasons. A good dude. I always had good interactions with Ruffin, and um, for the person he is, and for the, the the raw deal he got at East Carolina, he's my number one favorite of all time. Yeah, and my number one was your number two, Steve Logan. Uh, you know, just some great, some great memories of the Logan era. And I remember, uh, I remember being there after, after Bill Lewis left and you're wondering, okay, what is this guy going to do? How, how are we going to get, keep that momentum going? And it didn't happen right at first, but eventually Logan got it back on track. And, and Logan was another one. He wasn't afraid to speak his mind to anybody. And, uh, but but came up with some great teams. But Logan's Logan's my number one. Yeah, and he was almost mine. I love Logan. Uh, good good pick there for being number one. And he a dude that you know some people found his personality polarizing. But I always liked Logan. He spoke his mind. I know he could piss some people off, um, and I understand that. You know, um, I know some personal stories of some people he pissed off, and uh, I get that. But um, he. Uh, He's a great football coach and um, produced a lot of talent and a lot of great wins here. But, uh, Stevie, you, anything else we need to touch on before we uh, wrap it up for tonight? I think we've gone a little long this week. Yeah, we got a little long. I mean, I, I think the, the big story coming out of college football last week was the uh, Colorado came back down to earth a little bit last Saturday. Yeah, have you seen the video coming out of Oregon where they were talking to the Oregon cameras for their little, I guess, show they do like we do. We got a little show. I don't know how many people are aware of that on ESPN Plus. I think we lost you, Cal. You there? So we we lost Cal. Yeah, that, that video, I don't know if it's the same one that uh, you're talking about. And Bubba's mentioning it backstage right now about Shiloh Sanders cussing at the Oregon fans and the players, saying how to your your players and your and your coach too. I mean, it, but yeah, they definitely ran into a buzzsaw that was Oregon this week, and and nothing. It doesn't get easier this next week with USC and, and Colorado. I, I know Bubba's with us now till Kyle gets back, but uh, yeah, there's Kyle. The wonders of modern technology, but I uh, know uh, obviously what we're saying. We, we have a show there on ESPN Plus where they follow us around, uh, like yeah. Oregon does. And uh, the Colorado players were, were talking mad trash to oh, the yeah. cameras. You know, they were going to murder people and and just uh, you know talking all kinds of trash. And uh, people want to want to you know uh, it wasn't a good look being everybody's wanted to make Dion and those guys 
the good guys and all this. Not not they're bad guys. That, that no, I, but yeah, I know what you're saying because there, there was a lot of talk about that pregame speech the the Oregon coach gave about they're here for clicks, we're here for wins, and and some other stuff you said about that being wrong. But I didn't see anything wrong with that. You're trying to get your guys motivated. He didn't talk about killing anybody. So I mean, you know, killing the fans or anything. Yeah, and he said the Cinderella run ends today. And uh, it's just like I said on my live live stuff that I do for the final score, pump after the TCU game, pump the brakes on the national championship talk. You've got you still you still got to go through USC and you still got to go through Oregon and that whole conference. So uh, you know to me to me the media by, by hyping Dion so much. And Dion does it to himself. Dion's a very polarizing figure, but you know the media is making people. There, there, there. A lot of people are getting on the bandwagon, but there are also a lot of people that there. If I was Dion, I would, I would, and I know it's out of, out of his nature, but I would tell the media to chill a little bit because yeah, he, I think it's making a lot of people not like him, and uh, you know maybe he embraces that. I, you know, who knows? It's all you know. It can't hurt. It can't hurt their recruiting. But no. uh, I, uh, and that's another thing. You know how fair is that? That's something I hadn't even touched on. You know how fair is that that ESPN and these other um, sports, you know, sites, networks, etc., are uh, almost giving somebody an unfair recruiting advantage by promoting them? It's almost literally like they're advertising for them. Yeah, it's it's going to be hard to uh, to 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 say get anybody to agree with it's unfair because. The, he, he's on that where everybody's loving him. And you know what? I'll, I'll say this about Dion. He's doing a good job with that team. He's doing a better job yeah. than what I thought he would. Me too. And he took it. He took it. He took that loss like he should have. You know, he thought it was good old-fashioned butt whipping. Their coaches were prepared. Obviously, ours weren't. But then he said, you know, and I mean, I don't, but I, I don't doubt it either. He said, I'm keeping receipts. Y'all better get us now while you can. And that's because, just like you said, the recruiting is going to be just crazy. It's going to be crazy uh, next year to recruit that go to Colorado just because of the attention they're getting. And how do you stop that, though? How do you, how do you make ESPN like, okay, you can't do this. You can't cover them. That's not going to happen. No, well, no, I, I agree with you. But uh, as far as his receipts, uh, he might want to check his checkbook for Oregon because he won't be playing them again. <laughs> um, that That's a receipt he might as well throw away. Uh, let's yeah. see them in a bowl game. Um, so, but no, you're right. I, I guess that is the big story, uh, Dion. And I don't know, who does Colorado play this week? Are they all? UFC. Oh, geez. Well, that'll be interesting. You know, yeah. what surprised me, if, is that in the Coliseum or is that in Colorado? I'm not sure. Hold on. We'll find out. Okay. We are always well prepared oh, it's here. It's at Colorado. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Colorado pulled that off. Um, it's gonna, mm-hmm. I got a feeling it's going to be one of two things. Either USC is going to blow their doors off or Colorado pulls off the upset. But, you know, if USC is looking at it, it's like, okay, Oregon set the bar. Now we got to, we got to raise it a little bit as far as what we what yeah, we, USC don't play the defense Oregon plays. No, they but, don't really. They don't. Because I'll tell you what, uh, the Sanders board quarterback was on his back constantly against Oregon. Yeah. They, they were in his face all night. And you do wonder um, if maybe Colorado State, Colorado State was prepared for him. So 
I, I think maybe Colorado State exposed them a little bit uh, to, to how to attack them. Yeah. Um, so we'll see uh, if they can adapt uh, what they're doing as the season goes. But uh, anything else? Uh, games this week of note. Um, right. I, I know. I know the Thursday. I always look at the Thursday night games. I love when there's multiple Thursday night games. So I can tell you tomorrow night's games. You got a couple in Conference USA with Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee State, which is a rivalry game. I have no idea why Conference USA is playing that game this early in the season. But you got Western and Middle on CBS Sports Network. You got two teams in their first year of FBS in Conference USA on ESPNU, Sam Houston State and Jacksonville State playing each other. Uh, and then on ESPN, the American takes center stage with Temple and Tulsa. And I love watching EJ Warner play quarterback, so I'll enjoy watching that one. Um, I like Temple in that one, by the way. Um, so uh, those are those are tomorrow night's games. Um, what are the big games for the weekend, Stevie? Do you know off the top of your head? Bubba's talking about South Alabama at JMU. I don't know if that's tomorrow night or not. Um, well, that might be, is that tomorrow or Friday, Bubba? It might be Friday. Um, I'm looking at the schedule now. Uh, state, I know State takes on Louisville. Louisville's four and zero. State's three and one. That's Friday night. That's Friday night. Utah and Oregon State. That's a battle of top twenty-five teams. Um, yeah, Clemson and Syracuse. Clemson trying to get back on track. Uh, you know, missing that field goal at the end or near the end of regulation. Gives, what's going on? Gives, what's going on in the SEC this week? SEC, let's see if I can pull some up right here for you. Hold on, buddy. Well, you got Michigan and Nebraska. Now, that's not that's not SEC, but that's a Georgia and Auburn. That's that's going to be a, a, a yeah. Uh, you know, Georgia's offense, uh, Mike Bobo, uh, maybe not looking as good as it should. Uh, Auburn um, certainly ain't lighting the world on fire, but interesting game. Is that on the plains or is that in Athens? That is, I think that's at Auburn. Okay. Um, Kansas and Texas, that's two top 25 teams. God, Kansas and Texas, that don't even sound right. That's a but you know game. what? I, my brother is a is a diehard Texas fan, and I said, uh, you know, y'all, y'all beat Alabama and all this, but y'all will do a Texas thing, and y'all will lose to somebody y'all have no Now, business. why is your brother a Texas fan? Is well, he lived like- in Texas. He lived in Texas for a few years. Okay, I think we've had this conversation now. That yeah, he, he I'll give it. Now he's he's one of them that will change like the wind, but uh, that's that's a, he's got a pretty good reason for being a Texas fan on that one. LSU and Ole Miss this week, and then uh, let's see, Oregon plays Stanford, Oklahoma, I, Iowa State. I'm just looking at some top twenty-five games here. See what's going on. South Carolina and Tennessee, that should be an interesting game there. Notre Dame, how about this this matchup? 7.30 Saturday night, Notre Dame at 11, and number 17, Duke, undefeated. Yeah, um, and that is at Wallace Wade. Um, You think Duke comes back down to earth? You know, I, I think Notre Dame needs a win after that Ohio State game. It, it, does, or do they have a hangover? Yeah, after that? The field, you know, if they put 10, you know, 11 guys on the field, it'd be nice. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Um, uh, I, was, I don't know how you have that happen at the end of the game like that. But, uh, yeah, unless they got a hangover from that Ohio State loss, which is possible, 
I think uh, they'll bounce back against Duke. But uh, Duke ain't no slouch this year, man. Mike Elko is a great coach. I'm liking Duke this year. Like, I, you know, Duke's got a legitimate shot to win the ACC I, this year. I want to know who's going to hire Mike Elko after this year because he ain't going to be in Durham unless he really wants to be. Um, Good question. So, so somebody will be going after Elko. But anyway, uh, so it's, it's Wednesday night. Uh, I don't know if we got an inside slant tomorrow night again this week. Uh, we, we may have canceled that program. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, if we do, uh, tune in and watch it. If we don't, uh, watch the games that are on TV. Uh, but we'll be back Sunday for uh, the Pirate Playback. Um, hopefully, we'll be taking your calls this week. Um, and uh, we're, we're, sooner or later, we're going to have another show of the coach's kid out. We, we've kind of decided to make that a kind of twice a month kind of deal instead of a weekly right. deal, at least until football season's over. So, uh, and, you know, enjoy all of our other content and archive. Um, Don't yeah, forget. Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah, go back and listen to last week's episode of uh, Just Another Sports Podcast with me and Stevie. Doug Martin was on there. And uh, you, that's an archive. You can you, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can go back and listen to that one. So uh, yeah, we had a nice conversation with Doug Martin last week. So uh, a lot of good content, man. We put out there, there's pretty much content on, on on our feed every night. So if you if if you ain't watching, you know, if, if you watch one, watch them all. You know, we got Jeff Connors has his show on Monday night. So uh, we're always doing something here on the Sports Objective. We're not just a fly-by-night operation. We're not just a couple guys doing a podcast that make things up. We're, we're a real network. You know, we got former players. Stevie, by God, you're you're a hit football coach at a, at a high school. You, we, we got Bubba Rosenbaum who played who played uh, you know small college football quarterback punter. We got Massa Menza who's a former ECU linebacker. We got Jeff Connor, strength and conditioning coach. Dave Richmond, a 28-year radio veteran, and me. I'm a fifth-quarter calling show legend, baby. We, 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 we ain't just a couple dudes out here doing a podcast. We we yeah. we uh, we are experts, if you will. Yeah. So, anyway. Don't forget uh, Connors. He's got Holt Naylor's on this Monday night. Yeah, there you go. Holton uh, Holt Naylor's with Jeff Connors Monday night, and uh, so uh, that's the you know interesting to, to hear that conversation. We need to get Holton up here uh yes i'd love to have him pick yeah we'll, and we'll get that done uh we'll get that done one of these weeks we'll, we'll get holding up here and uh i can analyze every game in his career like i do everybody else uh, <laughs> and by the way comment guys let us know do you like it when i go that granule or when we go that granule uh with a guy going through game by game or would you rather us kind of do a more abbreviated version of a guy's career uh kind of let us know we want feedback what can we do what can we do better? You know, we want you to enjoy you this. I'll tell you this. I enjoy hearing the game by game, just like tonight with Dominic, hearing his thoughts on, on certain games. And uh, I, 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 that's matter of fact, final score, when I do my research for the final score and stuff in here, I like going to certain games. And talking yeah, about Steve, go ahead and promote promote the stuff on your on your own channel. Also, well, we, you know, I've I've got two podcasts. I, I do two other podcasts besides this one. I do the the final score, which is a sports based podcast, and I've had you know several different from the NFL to the NBA to the ACC uh, guests on there. We do we try to do a weekly show. I'm a I'm taking a little hiatus, you know, with all that's going on in the past couple of months. Right now, I will be back again, I'm sure, shortly. 
But uh, our last big guest was Mike Bass, who was the guy that intercepted Gary Premian's uh, lame pass in the Super Bowl that year when Miami went undefeated that year. But we do we do a little bit of everything sports-wise on there. Uh, and then I've got On the Fly, which is a pop culture, as, as Kyle, Kyle termed it, which was the, a, the best term you can put for it, because we do a little bit of everything on that music-wise, entertainment, uh, pro wrestling. Kyle's been a guest on there a couple of times. Matter of fact, Kyle's been talking about wrestling. He's talked about, uh, uh, we talked, we did a whole episode talking about Atari, uh, uh, you know, video game. Yeah, for, for those who don't realize I have other interests. Yeah, that's right. I am a, <laughs> Kyle does do besides ECU sports. Yeah, if you want anything, yeah, I would I would challenge anybody in our listener base on, on knowledge of Atari and 80 video, 80s video games. That's yeah. kind of my... Uh, my specialty, and uh, also 80s and 90s wrestling. Though, Stevie, I think you tit for tat with me on that. Yeah, we we would definitely get some uh, 80s and 90s wrestling because that that was, in my opinion, the best eras of wrestling. That best period of time, if you will, uh, was was my favorite for sure. And I was more of a Crockett guy than, than a WWF guy. Same, so, same. Yeah, me and Kyle could – as a matter of fact, I think we, we did – talk for about three hours one night one episode about three hours that we did on one of my podcasts so right now it's all about wrestling too yeah exactly and i remember doing a top 10 that night of my favorite wrestlers of all time and i if i went back my top 10 would probably be different now here for yeah, it always is. if i did yeah. mine, mine would be different too and at some point you know once football season's going if the listener base is strong enough we may keep this going and touch all kinds of topics and we'll cover wrestling on here but uh we're going to wrap this thing up. You see there at the bottom of the screen, though, join Team Boneyard today, uh, and you can join it for as little as $10 a month. That is the official NIL partnership for East Carolina, or NIL collective is what I should say, for East Carolina. So if you, if you look, hey, whether you agree with NIL or not, it is part of college athletics today, and we need it's your here. money. <laughs> yeah, we need your money, and you can join us for as little as $10 a month, and you will get a Team Boneyard hat for that. Um, of course, you can you can give a lot more than that if you want to, but I'm saying every dollar counts. They have a ten dollar a month minimum for a reason, guys. So don't think you're hey I can't give enough to, for it to matter. They wouldn't offer the option for you to give that low of a, of an amount if it didn't matter. If it didn't matter, uh, exactly. exactly. If everybody would give that much, it'd make a difference. So uh, join Team Boneyard, and uh, you know it's the only way we're going to stay competitive in this day and age of college football. We got to find a way to get NIL going at East Carolina at a higher level. Stevie, uh, I think we'll wrap it up, man. Uh, for Dominique Lindsay, Stevie Fly, I'm Kyle from Lagrange Barber, Bubba producing behind the scenes. You have been watching and listening to just another sports podcast here on the Sports Objective Podcast Network. Good night, everybody, and go Pirates! See ya.